Hello and welcome back to Retirement Clarity Radio. I am Scott Newhouse, your host. I am so glad that you are with me. Uh, Today's episode is the second one in our series on retirement and taxes. Um, So as I said before, this podcast is really four to five episodes on a specific topic. Then we move on. We did Social Security. We did Medicare. Now we're doing taxes and retirement. Um, This Uh, These four to five episodes are largely based off of my book, The Retirement Tax Bomb, which you can get for free at freeretirementbooks.com. Again, just go to freeretirementbooks.com. Give me some short contact information. I'll send you a a downloadable PDF copy for you to get this book. But that's what these podcast episodes are largely based off of. Um, Last week, we talked about our historically low tax rates that we have right now all the way up until 2020 at the end of 2025 and then in 2026 if congress does nothing taxes are set to go up and then obviously if congress and the white house decide they want to raise taxes even more beyond that that's also uh, a possibility and frankly i think it's a possibility largely because of what i'm going to talk about in today's episode so today's episode is going to be on the five financial threats facing our country i.e why do I and, and so many others um, who kind of study this stuff, why do we think that it's um, the most likely scenario is that taxes increase not just above the 2026 levels that are coming, but even beyond that? And let's just dive right into it because I want to try and keep these podcast episodes as short and to the point as possible. But the first reason um, is that we just don't have enough workers in our country um, paying into payroll taxes. So to give you some context, in 1945, we had around 42 workers who were able to support one Social Security recipient, again, in the form of payroll taxes. Yet that number has fallen dramatically over the last seven decades. And as of 2010, the number of workers per Social Security recipient has dropped to just under three workers. So in 1945, we have 42 workers per one Social Security recipient. Now we have just under three workers per one social security recipient the problem with this lack of workers is that we depend on them to fund many of our social programs obviously including social security and if the government can't get the money to fund social security from these workers then they're going to have to search for it in other areas and that's just i mean that's just plain math they got to get the money from somewhere and it's not coming from the number of workers that we have okay on to reason number two Um, and this is similar, is that we have too many retirees. As our population continues to grow over time, so too does does the number of people who retire every day. In 1980, uh, we had the number of people reaching the age of 65 daily was just over 5,000. Now, that number held up until around 2000 when there was a number, uh, there was a massive spike in the number of retirees. And today, over 10,000 people turn 65 every single day and according to census projections that tally is going to rise uh, quickly up to twelve thousand dollars per day so we're, we're in a tough spot we have less workers but we also have more retirees than ever before which puts a big strain on our country's ability to fund many of our social programs number three uh, of the five financial threats facing our country. And this isn't exhaustive, but yeah, these are five big ones. Reason three is that we have a steady increase in mandatory spending. Um, And I'll talk a little bit about mandatory spending, but I'm talking about Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So when we look at the government's budget, it's mainly divided into three categories. First, we have discretionary spending, which Congress can adjust on a year-to-year basis. 
The second type of spending is we have net interest. And so that's essentially what we're paying in interest payments for all the money we have borrowed. And then third is our mandatory spending. Mandatory spending is money that the federal government has promised by law to go to certain programs. And the most common of those programs are Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Um, now, our budgets in the government have gone through a massive shift over the last 50 years. Um, and so let me just give you two quick numbers and then we'll move on to the uh, next point. But in 1968, when we had more workers per retiree, the percentage allocated to mandatory spending was just 28%. And then discretionary spending was up at a whopping 66%. So every year that meant in 1968, the government could spend how it wanted 66% of its revenues on a year-to-year -year basis. Over time, though, those numbers began to shift. And let me explain that shift right now. Um, now, the mandatory spending takes up 61% of our country's budget, and discretionary spending is just 31% of the budget. So basically, the no those numbers essentially flipped from 1968 until uh, roughly today. Uh, we went from 28% in mandatory spending all the way up to 61%. And that mandatory spending keeps on increasing steadily year over year. Now, the main thing causing that mandatory spending going up is, again, you know, uh, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. We have more retirees um, that, you know, are entitled to their benefits. So more of the revenue is going to those programs. And essentially in my mind it means that our politicians who love to spend money uh, regardless of party um, they have less money to use for their own discretionary purposes which in my mind they won't be happy about and at some point they're going to say hey how can we get some additional revenue so that we can spend some money on our pet projects um, and so that they don't have to have as much go to the mandatory spending like social security and medicare okay hope that makes sense reason number four uh, our reason, yeah, point number four of the financial threats that we're facing is our trust fund de depletion. So as I've said before, Social Security and Medicare are paid for partially um, and pri primarily from payroll taxes. But there is another source that they get their funds, and that's from trust funds. Um, essentially, in the past, we have been able to save up money and created trust funds for Social Security and Medicare. And they have separate trust funds, uh, but we've been able to save up, stock some money in there. And then over time, uh, we've been using a portion of that trust fund to help cover the gap that payroll expenses don't cover for Social Security and Medicare. Um, let me give you some numbers on that. Right now, payroll taxes uh, yeah, right now, payroll taxes only account for around 75% of Social Security benefits and around 90% of Medicare benefits. But the big problem with that is that within the next 10 to 15 years, our trust funds are going to be completely depleted. So payroll taxes cover most of the benefits, and then they get the remaining from that trust fund. But our trust fund is soon to be depleted in the next 10 to 15 years, in which case, or, or when that happens, we're going to have a gap of money that's not going to be covered for Social Security and Medicare. And our politicians are going to say, hey, how do we fix this? How do we get um, that remaining amount of money? And they've got two main options. They can drastically cut benefits, which I frankly don't think they're going to. Um, I think that would kind of be pulling the uh, rug under um, people who have you know, worked for and paid into those programs. So I don't think they're going to do that. Look, that's just a guess, okay? Um, and then 
The other option that they have is to dramatically increase taxes. I think that's much more likely uh, myself. Um, but again, point number four, we're running out of money in our trust funds, which we need to fund Social Security and Medicare. And so our politicians are going to ask themselves, and they already are asking themselves this right now, where do we get up that additional revenue? Um, do we cut benefits or do we increase taxes? Okay, number five, last point of the big financial threats our country is facing is that we have rapidly increasing debts and deficits. Now, when I actually wrote this book, um, and I, I published it in January 2020, um, but the debt was $23 trillion. And I just looked it up this morning. Uh, the U.S. national debt is at $27.9 trillion. So we're about to hit that $28 uh, trillion threshold. Obviously, the coronavirus, COVID, um, has had a really big impact on uh, so many families and especially on the on the government's um, budget and so they've had to they've had to borrow some money uh, to you know do the stimulus packages uh, that they've done so our debt is increasing and it's increasing rapidly and it's not going to go down anytime soon and the reason for that is because we run a, a deficit every single year um, over the last three decades there have actually only been four years when the government brought in more money than it spent let me read that again. In the last three decades, there have only been four years where the government brought in more money than it spent. So in other words, we, we spend more money uh, than we take in, uh, the government does at least, um, almost every year. And so that just adds to the debt. And then also, uh, we are spending so much money on debt payments. Um, as of 2020, our country was paying over $750 billion, with a B, in interest payments to pay down the debt that we have. And obviously, a big chunk of that is owed to China, by the way. So we've got rapidly increasing debts, deficits, and interest rates. And that also adds just to the big financial strain uh, that our government is facing. And I don't think it's sustainable. So I think at some point in the future, we're going to have to look at changes to be made um, towards how we tax, towards the benefits, um, towards full retirement age. There's there's going to be a lot of inspection of what we spend our money on and what our tax rates are. I Again, as I said before, looking at these five big financial threats, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think big drastic benefit cuts are going to come. And I also don't think that big changes to how actually Social Security and Medicare work, like the structure of the program, I don't think there's going to be big change on that. Um, and, and, the, and we'll get into that. We'll get into why in, in subsequent episodes. But, you know, if we remember back in, I think it was 2006, George W. Bush with the Republican, you know, House and Senate, they tried to... Uh, essentially privatized Social Security uh, that did not uh, play over well in the media and uh, with the Democratic Party. Um, and I think if I think if we see, uh, you know, the Democratic Party try and come up with some proposals, um, frankly, I don't think the Republican Party is going to get on board with them. So I, I just don't see big structural changes because I don't see any path to consensus in, in actually changing those programs in a certain way. Um, I think the most likely thing that we're going to face is increasing taxes, uh, but I could be wrong. But these are big financial threats that, you know, no one, regardless of party, um, no, regardless of affiliation, can really deny that this is a problem. Um, we're all just trying to figure out how are politicians going to solve this in the future. I think it's taxes, which is why I think it's really essential 
especially before 2026, to see if you can take advantage of some tax strategies that we're going to be talking about in these remaining episodes. I should have mentioned this at the outset. None of this is a recommendation. Um, I can't give any recommendations over a podcast. I know you know that. But if you want to learn more about uh, retirement and taxes, you can pick up a copy of my book at freeretirementbooks.com. And then in the next three to four episodes, we'll talk specific strategies that you can consider along with your CPA, uh, tax professional, and certified financial planner. Please don't do any of this stuff without an expert. There's just a lot of moving parts. Um, and I know some people don't like to pay for financial advice. I get it. Um, I think if you can find someone maybe on like a one-time project, if you really are hesitant to working with a financial advisor, maybe think about if you can, you know, get someone on a short-term project at a price that you think is fair uh, to kind of run these numbers and talk with you about how this could work for your particular situation. I think that'd be a great option. Um, So again, go to free retirement books if you want to pick up a copy of my book. Make sure to like, subscribe, whatever you do on podcast so you can get the remaining episodes. Hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening. As a reminder, you should consult with a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this podcast is a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentions of rate of return are hypothetical in nature and not a guarantee of future returns. Scott Newhouse, CFP, is an investment advisor representative of Forthright Finances, a California and Nevada registered investment advisor.